Hey guys, Barry Melody, CEO and founder of the Game Changers and your host at the Comeback Game podcast today, back with another episode. And today I'm joined by Keith Miller, who's an associate and uh, one of our leading coaches here at the Game Changers. Keith, how are you doing today, mate? Barry, I am fantastic, but I'm sure I'm going to get better. So uh, feeling good and I am honoured to be on your podcast. I'm a frequent listener <laughs> uh, to, uh, to uh, the come, Comeback Game. So it's uh, all my Christmases have come at once. <laughs> and look, uh, mine too, because I'm sure that you have a comeback game story. Everyone's got a comeback game story. So before we kind of dive into to yourself and, and uh, what you've been through in life to, to be where you are now, uh, just for the guys that are watching or listening to this today, just share a little bit about uh, who you are and what it is that you do. Okay. Who, who am I? Who, who, is, who is Keith Miller? Um, uh, that's an interesting question. I would say I'm a, an ordinary guy uh, trying to find... Uh, the, the reason for life, uh, but surrounded by extraordinary people. And I think that, that uh, those, those influences that I've been able to uh, be engaged with and be exposed to has, has helped my journey. But I'm like everyone else. I'm trying to work through, um, through life uh, with the, the minimum amount of hassle and buffering uh, uh, for the most, most uh, for the happiness. I think everyone is after happiness. I'm after being happier and uh, a lot of things make me happy, uh, starting with my grandchildren, um, who I just absolutely adore. So um, I, started, I started my career uh, as a uh, secondary school teacher in accounting and commercial law and economics and typing. Uh, if you saw my typing, you'd worry about my accounting, commercial law and economics. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, it, it's, it, it's got any better. I went from there because I just, uh, that, that was good starting. I really enjoyed that. It was Flanagan High School. Uh, it was a, a relatively new school. Um, and then decided that really teaching as much as I loved it, I, I, uh, I wanted to get out in this industry, went overseas, worked as a financial accountant overseas, came back and uh, got into marketing of travel, um, which was interesting. Then I got into public relations, um, started, started two companies, one in public relations, one in training. And in the last uh, 25 years, last 25 years, I've been in, in training, facilitating, coaching, specifically business to business in, uh, in leadership and management and selling. So that's my professional history. I've been very fortunate to arrive at the spot I'm at now. It's almost closing the loop where I'm coaching people. And when I think about I started as a teacher, which is, uh, which is interesting that I actually come back to coaching and teaching, uh, but seeing or helping people get clarity in what they want because many people don't know what they want or they can't they can't get the clarity and the and the focus, and seeing them uh, just their eyes light up and then they take off like a rocket and they're away. And that's the satisfaction I get. Yeah, and now uh, now you're working with business owners that are that are you know uh, currently turning out multiple millions. And you help them to to get to multiple more millions through obviously the the training and education uh, that you're able to offer, them, which we'll jump into in a second. Yep. Um, everyone's got a comeback game, and before we dive into yours, like I'm kind of curious, like who have been you know, you've been around you've been around the block a few times, right? And you've obviously seen a lot of stuff. Yep. Uh, probably made a lot of mistakes, made a lot of successes, oh, and probably made made even more mistakes. Yep. Uh, who, who do you think have been the the five greatest influences you've had over your life? Uh, to date, yeah. That's uh, firstly. Firstly, I chose my parents very well. Uh, my, my mother and father were fantastic. 
Uh, my father always had three jobs on the go. I don't know where he slept, but he decided after uh, traveling around Australia quite a bit, and I went from school to school, uh, seemed to arrive at a new school. Uh, rather than being a, a term in front, I was a term behind. So I was always one of the, the dumbest people in the class. I was always getting beaten up. That was until about 12, the 12th, um, what, years 12? Sorry, when I was 12. Then he decided to put us into a private school and went into uh, Essendon Grammar School, which was the, the bottom of the heap. It was probably, if you had to get a private school down the bottom, it was it. Um, but it had 200 students from the uh, from top to bottom, and everyone knew each other. They were very caring. And for me at that stage in life, I really needed that continuity. Um, I don't know how he paid for it, but he did uh, work in those jobs. So my mother and father. Second was Paul Meyer, who I never met, but um, came up with a, a learning system that I think you know about leadership management, international success motivation. And he was very much about uh, repetition of the message, setting goals, uh, etc. And I've always been a personal development junkie. I really, and I've always set goals and I've always done to-do lists. And it was interesting because I was listening to Taki Moore, who, uh, or Taki Moore, uh, on, your broad, on your podcast the other day. And I, I really, he, he is one of my heroes. Um, and one day I'll, I'll meet him and even do one of his classes. But he said, I don't, I don't set goals. And I, it just blew me away. But in a sense, when I looked at it, I think he actually does, but he's not, uh, funnily enough, doesn't realise he's actually setting those goals. But Paul J. Meyer um, really led um, um, that, uh, that, that uh, personal development, business development training uh, in the 60s and 70s. Um, a man called Tony Bongiorno, Bongi, uh, Bonji is the most incredible guy. His family is one of the richest in, uh, in Australia, Italian uh, richest families. Uh, and Bonji is by nature uh, an accountant, but he's just so out there. He's always got the first of everything. Um, and he had a great influence on, on me in, in, in life. Mm. Uh, one was I was in a role as a sales manager for a radio station. Mm. And um, I got the job and I was looking after 12 direct salespeople. Well, that's like looking after or herding cats. I mean, 12 direct salespeople, they weren't just getting their money from agencies. They had to go and knock on doors. I thought I knew selling. And I had absolutely no idea when I looked back at it. And I went to Bonji and I said, mate, I am in strife. I reckon I've got about four weeks in the job before I get sacked. He said, okay, well, aside to me, the sales process. I said, I've got no idea what it is. Tell me. He said, mate, you are dead man walking. If you don't quickly learn the sales process, you're going to be out the door. So I... Uh, made a decision that while I last in the job and that was dependent on, on the other people and, and whether I can get their budgets, um, I would learn as much as about selling as possible. I did that. And that probably, that, uh, that, uh, that, that setback and that uh, dark period actually caused me to understand what the sales process is about, which mm. I can now, I, I've used uh, ever since. Um, mm. The other person, my children, uh, two children, uh, both adults. One uh, in particular, my son uh, came to me when he was 15, 16. He said, Dad, uh, I want to become a skateboarder. I said, okay, well, that's interesting. And he said, I want to go to the States. I said, oh, no, okay, well, how about you go back, finish school, get your HSC, and then we'll talk. Well, he got his HSC. He actually did enter university for about the first term. He came back and said, I want to be a skateboarder. I said, mate, we had an agreement. You're off. You're gone. Well, he, he actually achieved his, his, his uh, ultimate, which was to both skate with his hero, a guy called Tony Hawk, and yes. also he himself became a, a world champion, number one in the world. 
and which which totally blew me away. Not that he couldn't do it, but I see him down once and I said, look, I've got to congratulate you. You've really worked hard at this. You've been very focused. Do you know if we had to line up the 7 billion people on a planet who had who could skateboard, you would be at the top of the queue. And uh, that, you know, to be the number one out of 7 billion people was uh, was not bad. So they were, they are my influences and, um, and, and uh, have given me, uh, you know, I take each day, I try and get at least about 10 learnings from each day. So at the end of the day, I go through and I tally up the things, my wins uh, and my learnings and my progress and my, my ideal goal is about 20. But if I get 10, I, I feel reasonably chuffed and I can sign off for the day and mm. go and enjoy the rest of my life. Mm. It's something uh, interesting when you're hearing you talk about the um, sales process and about your boss back then. And I know we've had a conversation about this in the past around, you know, like you didn't last more than a couple of days without hitting your numbers before you moved out pretty quick. Yeah. And it reminded me of a, of an interview that I listened to yesterday of a guy that runs his company. He talks about how uh, he will smash his employees if they're underperforming. And it was a really interesting um, contradiction or, or point that this guy was taking is that he shared he would never smash them personally. Like he would never go to demoralize them per personally as a person, but he will, he will demoralize, he will smash the work that they do if he doesn't believe that it's good enough. And it was a really interesting distinction. Um, obviously myself being my own business, working with a lot of other people as, as, as you do as well, he's noticing that difference. And his kind of point was, that, that you, you know, these people walk away from these conversations feeling pretty shit about life, but yet they, they, what happens is that they develop something inside of themselves. They develop this edge inside of themselves that comes back to see them fighting for more. And they remember those moments as being some of the greatest moments in their life. And it kind of brought me back to, and, and you know, reminded me again around the comeback game. And the reason we started the podcast in the beginning was around this, this notion that our greatest our greatest um, challenges and adversities in life actually become our greatest strengths and actually become our greatest learning over a period of time. And if you've had, you know, if you're going through some adversity right now, listening to this and you can't see the good, good, good side of it, or you can't see the learning, it's going to come like it is coming. You might not be there yet. It is coming. And, and, and the question I've got for you, Keith, like you've worked with a lot of CEOs, a lot of executives, you've coached a lot of businesses over your time. You've seen a lot of things. Do you think as a generalization that, that CEOs or business owners are too soft on their employees of, of what their expectations are or, or what they, what they tolerate? Um, yes. I'll say yes. And that is that um, no one gets out of bed to say, I'm going to really upset Barry today. I'm going to put in a absolute crap day at work. Everyone gets out of bed to do their best. I'm sure yeah. it might yeah. be, I don't know, 5% who don't do that, but you don't, you don't come across that. So everyone's trying to do it. I think what the business owner does is that he doesn't know his own job well enough to mentor and coach those people. Now, what does that mean? Uh, if, someone, if, if someone's starting a, a startup, an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm starting a business uh, about widgets, I would first say to you, no matter what that was, go and get sales training because somewhere along the line, you're going to have to sell your idea, yeah. uh, manage your sales team, whatever it is, but you need to know in, in addition to your science and all that, uh, understanding of how to actually exchange and negotiate with the world. 
Mm. So I think the, the fault is in the leader um, is not sure about how uh, how competent he is in the job and how to mentor and coach the others. Now, mm. the other part I say is someone comes up with a, a, an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial idea and says, I'll start a business. Well, it's having the idea is one thing, but the other half is actually having business competency uh, how do you run a business? Now, mm-hmm. most of the people who started businesses um, and mostly fail have got no idea about running a business. They mm-hmm. uh, they think they do, but they haven't learned mm-hmm. the basics about how to manage people, how to encourage people, how to motivate people. So that leads into, yes, they allow underperformance to be tolerated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very clear. If you've got clear goals and clear KPIs, then you manage yourself and your people to those KPIs. Now mm. I love you, Barry, but you're not you're not cutting with these KPIs. Mm. Maybe this is not the job for you. But yeah. uh, there's nothing wrong with you. You're personally you're fantastic, father. I know I'm professionally, but you're not doing the job here. So yeah. that is the thing that's a, a, a third point to discuss. Rather than Barry, you're stuffing up here. Uh, yeah. you're, you're an idiot. So yeah. it's a bit of a bit of both the uh, and you and you actually taught me this is actually coached to that point um and if you allow people to get off they will take you to that point every time because yeah. that is your blind spot as a coach and a manager yeah so from that point of view I, I appreciate it but also the person with the kpis should be really hurting from a pride point of view if they don't get it that month or that week their kpis they should be really embarrassed from their own respect that they didn't mm. get that there but Unfortunately, they let those slide and that just becomes part of the norm because, it, because yeah. we're nice people. And that's yeah. the greatest setback is we are lovely, nice, family-oriented people. Yeah, there's, there's three things that come up in, in that and I just want to mention them while I remember and then we can maybe pick them apart one by one. Is, is One is around having clear values in a business, vision, mission, values. And the values are important because it instills a DNA that you have as a business owner and it allows a point of accountability. So, so nothing's ever personal. Yet the way that, that you hold staff accountable or you, you, you create a standard is based on the, the, the base. That's one thing we can come back to if we get a chance. The second one is around delegation to abdication, which Michael Gerber talks a lot about in his book, you know, the, the E-Myth Revisited, which is where you know, I see a lot of business owners make mistakes is that they, they start this business, they get up and running, they get going, they're like, should I need to hire someone to help me out? They hire someone this person takes something off their hands and seems to be doing a good job because most often the business owner is just relieved to not have to be doing that. So from their perspective, there's an, there's an appearance or, or a, a, a feeling that they're doing a the right job. So they start handing over more without actually diving into making sure that, that what they're delivering is of a high standard until one day all of a sudden all falls down your head. Shit, you haven't been performing. You're not doing a good job. And the third part, this is what I want to dive into first because it's something I was, I was lying I was on bed last night or this morning and I was really giving some deep thought to like why more business owners or why business owners are so resistant to getting coaching, why business owners are so resistant to getting, to getting help. And this is something that, that I'm constantly just flabbergasted by, like yep. constantly, like obviously running a coaching organization, seeing what it does for the clients that work with us and, and, yep. and stay with us, like seeing the results they get, seeing that the stress that gets reduced and the joy and the fulfillment that comes back, the money that they make, the freedom they have, all these amazing things, right, for an investment of their time and money. And then I look at, you know, like anyone that's achieved anything great in sports, you know, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, um, 
LeBron James, like anyone that's achieved anything great, Tony Hawk, your son, no doubt, they've all had coaches or mentors. They haven't got to be number one in the world or to, to be outstanding or to be playing at the Olympic Games without often a team of coaches or mentors yeah, or supporters. And yet there's this thing that we're constantly faced with with, with, with business owners that are half-assed about growing their business. They think that they're fully invested in growing their business, like, like I'm all in, like I'm all in, yet they're actually not willing to invest the money nor the time to get the professional help. And I'm like, is it that they don't know what the professional help is? Is it that they've been burnt in the marketplace before? Because there's a lot of people out there like coaching is an industry currently that's unregulated. So you could literally say, hey, I'm a business coach and start selling your services, having no prior experience or success on the board and get results. Or the third point, is it, is it the mentality that we have to have to be a business owner? Like this entrepreneurial mentality is one that's almost like a bit of a trailblazer, a bit of a, a, bit of a you know, you against the world kind of a thing. Yep. A bit of a like, I'm going to go this alone. And so there's almost this mentality that we need as business owners to go out and to, 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 to fight the world, to have this widget and take it to the market. Yep. Yet that same mentality of, of being a game changer or a trailblazer is a mentality that actually kills our business in the long term because we're unwilling to accept help, to ask for help, to, to take on board help, to seek help, to get our business to where it wants to grow. Like, like what's your thoughts on what I've just shared there, because this is something that that fascinates me, and I think a lot about. Uh, because people regard them, it's it's called the rugged individual. Uh, we, we're all rugged individuals in that we want to create the wheel again, and again, and again. We we think that uh, it hasn't been created before for us. We've got this huge ego, and if it's going to get done, it's going to get done by me. Mm. They don't know what they don't know, so therefore. They don't know, uh, but they believe, um, and, and I've been part of this at times, thinking that I'm, I'm the best person to do this and mm. I really should know the answers. So and I'll get through this. I'll keep pushing till I get the answers um, until you realise there's got to be an easier way. Mm. And those people who are, it's usually the top 20, 20% of any area, are the, the movers and shakers. They've worked this out long ago. They're the ones who've got no work on their desk because they've delegated everything, but they manage their people so well. So uh, I, I've had the same question in my mind. You know, why don't people, uh, why don't people uh, cut the corner? And uh, I mean, sometimes I think uh, lazy people are good because if you watch a lazy person, they'll get they'll go from A to B, where we tend to overcomplicate it and go A C B. Mm. So I I think it's got a lot to do with ego. It's got a lot to do with our mindset. Um, the thing is, and here's the kicker, Barry, that uh, in 2008, uh, there was a major turning point. And that turning point was, if you go back 50 years, coming out of the war, businesses uh, were, were winning from, from war, um, armament to products and things like that. They were chasing the production and getting stuff out. And there were people out there, consumers, many, many more consumers than produce. And so... Therefore, they had a pretty good day because uh, uh, they could actually uh, uh, sell it, sell their goods. Mm. But in 2008, there was a flip. As China, as Africa, and as Asia moved up into the middle class, there were more manufacturers and the iPhone and the internet, there were more manufacturers and providers of business, of, of products, than really than population of consumers. Mm. So it means that if you're starting a business now, you've got to be ultra smart 
to, to, to pick up a competitive edge because it's not like it was in 1990 or early 2000s when you really had to work hard to bugger up a sale or not get sales. Now it's, it's going to be competing and price is going to be very important. And I love the article that you wrote on, uh, on strategy. It's going to be all about getting the now, getting the grey matter working and working out what is your uniqueness, what is your strategy, uh, mm. because you cannot survive without that combination these days. And that's mm. the, the turning point. I don't know whether that answered the question. But no, 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 no. It, it, it's, it's great. Your post a bit of a, 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 a leg up because I thought there was an excellent, an excellent post and I think it had a lot of importance attached to it. Yeah, if you want to check out that post, uh, thegamechangers.com.au, uh, check out the blog section. There's, a, there's an article there, right, on strategy. Um, interesting thing, Keith, like, this is a great conversation. I hope the guys watching, listening are feeling the same because this, I, I feel this is a conversation that's not really spoken about outside of our own heads or maybe, maybe our, our own meetings. Um, and, and we haven't had a conversation like this before. It's just been something that's been really on my mind lately because we are living in such a world of contradiction right now. Like, there has never been a more difficult time to succeed in business right? Because of how much competition there is from, from, from international uh, organizations and, and manufacturers um, because of, you know, how anyone can go and become an a, a, a online entrepreneur. Like overnight, they, they get a ClickFunnels account, they, they register Facebook ads and all of a sudden they're selling shit online, right? Equally too, there has never been an easier time to succeed in business because we have the ability to reach millions of people around the world through Instagram, through Facebook, through Snapchat, you know, through Google, through all these different platforms to sell and position our product and there is such a contradiction and you know you mark my words the facebook's the ubers the airbnbs the apples they've all got coaches they've all got executive coaches strategic coaches personal mindset coaches like they they are not succeeding on their own nor is anyone else that's in the olympic games or at an elite level sport and this is what just, just boggles me is that you know I'm on, we're on a mission to move that number up because the reality is, is 4% of businesses that start, like four out of a hundred businesses make it. Like that number is staggering. And that's 96 out of a hundred people that are experiencing massive financial difficulty. A lot of times relationship breakups because of the, the sheer emotion, the pain, the struggle and everything else. Like, like, like depression, like you name the illnesses and everything else that are categorized in that 96% of people. And yet the core difference between them and the 4% often is the ability to take on board feedback is the ability for them to get some form of external advice, external help. And I'm quite the opposite. Like I have a challenge and, and I sit with it. If I can't work it out, my, my next train of thought is who can I call? Yep. Who can I reach out to? Yep. Who is the smartest person that I know in this particular area, marketing t team, talent, you know, hiring, whatever the case may be, who's the smartest person I know that I can reach out to, to get the answers like that. Because every moment that I sit with that, every moment that, that thing is unresolved, often my business, my company is not moving forwards. Yep, absolutely, absolutely, you nailed it. Uh, and, and just to add to that, and I know, I, I know you're a big one for Anthony Robbins, and and, and I'll just mention, uh, you, you know, uh, you know, one of our, our, our joint influences, you could say, is Vern Harnish, yeah. who wrote uh, that great book, Scaling Up, yeah. uh, and he started a, a group called Gazelles uh, with certification, which I'm, I'm one of. 200 in the world certified. Yeah. As, and and Vern, Vern has been working in the entrepreneurial space all his life. He's probably about 55 now. He started um, uh, uh, a group called the Birthing of Giants in Silicon Valley. 
So he's knocked around Steve Jobs and, and, and all of the big names when they were just starting off. So he, he is regarded in, in that mid-market growth area, entrepreneur areas, as the, the guru. Now, Byrne has got a very healthy ego, let's say. He's a very confident sort of guy, speaks so well, uh, does great key- keynotes. He mentioned, I think, in one of the, the webinars I was watching uh, last week, he went, he, he had, a, I know he had a challenging year last year, and he went off to a Tony Robbins boot camp. Now, for him to admit that and say, I needed to get back and get some, uh, some, some, uh, you know, some time just to reconnect with, with the things. And he, he gave uh, credit to Tony Robbins by mentioning. So he was humble enough to say, I don't know it all. And he went off. Now, mm. that, that shows that even as competent as, as, as leader as he is, um, that he realised he doesn't have the information and, and went and got it. Mm. Mm. And, and that's the thing is that it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. Like a lot of stuff is available for free through, through YouTube and online. Yep. The only purpose that I'd say around that though is, is be careful of who you allow to influence you. Because yeah. we are always being influenced and it's very easy to, when we start to research things, get conflicting, uh, conflicting information. And that's when it does get complicated because this person says, oh, hey, you need to run a content marketing strategy. This person's like, oh, hey, you need to build funnels. This person's like, oh, hey, you know, go and do keynotes. And you're like, oh, my God, I need to do all these things all at once, yeah. right? When, when, when it's just you and you've literally got to earn 100 grand a year to pay your bills. Yep. So, so that's the only thing I'd say is that the information is really readily available. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. Just be clear on, 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 on who you're allowed to influence you. And I think the most important thing is to act on it. Like if you're going to go and listen to something or learn something, take the action to implement it and see it through as, a, as opposed to, oh, hey, I, I need more information before I get moving. Because I think I see a lot of people get stuck in this, uh, this, this, this phase where they need to feel that they've got a million bits of information around the one particular thing before they move forwards. Yep. And, yep. you know, I, I have a saying, which is progress over perfection is as long as you're taking a step forward, you'll get to where you want to go. You'll get to the door. You'll get to, to, the, to, to living the life that you desire. As long as you can look back every day, every week and say, yes, I've moved forwards. Yep. Yet yep. that trying to get things perfect prevents us often from, from moving forwards. Absolutely. And, and I'll just add um, that uh, maybe in the past when we've had a, a business plan to write or a problem to solve, um, and, and we sit down uh, maybe in a coffee shop or, or somewhere and we try and nut this plan out or the strategy or whatever it is, and it doesn't come. Uh, and they've taken an MRI of a brain of a person, a live person, uh, having a battle, challenging, uh, coming up with a solution for a problem. Mm. And the amount of electricity activity in their brain was a flicker, a flicker. Just It was just ticking over. They took the same brain, the same person, being alive, and they uh, did an MRI uh, where this person was having a conversation with with one several people, and it and it went off like a like a, a Fourth of July. The uh, the chemical reactions, the things, the flashes in the brain. So it shows that if you have got a a, a, a challenge, a problem, a, a something that you've got to come up with. You're not going to do it by yourself. That's always going to be, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it this afternoon, which is tomorrow anyway. However, if you sit down and talk to someone, even if you're listening to your own words, you actually progress the, the issue. And mm. this is where a coach comes in or, or, or a mentor 
um, or an accountability buddy is the important thing is to actually talk it through mm. and uh, picking up on something you said earlier, it used to be, what do I know now? What do I know? It's now, who do I know? Mm. And uh, that's the, the people who get to that faster is the person who's got the competitive advantage in their business, in their, in their role. Uh, and that's a personal go ahead. Mm. And I think, I think what you shared there too also works when we're looking at, when we're looking at growing and scaling a company and when we look at leverage, is that we can be the, the what stuff, you know, what needs to be done, or we can be the hoot stuff. You know, yep. who do I need Who do I need on my team or who do I need to make a connection with? Yep. They can execute on this for me. <clears throat> they can execute on this for me. They can do this for me. And that's how we start to leverage those relationships. And I suppose that ties into the second point um, I touched upon before around, you know, Michael Gerber talking about the difference between like effective delegation or delegating through abdication. Yep. You know, like I see so many people that, that start to scale and grow a business and they start hiring staff left, right and center and start delegating Yet the delegation through abdication. You know, they haven't got any systems or processes in place, any onboarding of staff, you know, they, they bring this person on and then a year later or six months later, whatever the case may be, there's massive issues because this person has been seemingly doing all of this stuff to only find out that it hasn't been done properly because often in business, when we make a mistake or something happens, it doesn't necessarily show up straight away. It can show up weeks or months later. And, and then once again, it's not like we can fix it instantly. You know, sometimes it takes days, weeks or months to see things fixed. Yep. What's your advice to someone who's in a business right now, who's scaling, who's growing, um, they've got plenty going on, they're hiring staff and they're kind of feeling things are getting out of control. Like how can, how can they effectively delegate or how can they effectively build a high performing business? Okay. Um, some key words here, and that's uh, responsibility, accountability, and authority. Mm. Now, often those words are uh, interchanged, uh, but they do actually have a specific role uh, in, uh, in, in management, in, in, in a person delegating. The, we we uh, are responsible uh, for the success of the game changes. Uh, Jointly as a team, uh, you know, your team, um, of which I'm part of, we are responsible. But there is only one person accountable. Only one person accountable. Now, that may well be your results to your board of directors. You're accountable to them for results. Mm. I am accountable for my area. Yeah. But there's not, we're not all responsible for that. There is a person and a role. Yeah. It's like when the Essendon drug uh, uh, thing broke um, and the CEO came and said, yeah, yeah, look, we are all responsible for where we are today. Well, that was a problem. Everyone felt responsible, but it falls through the cracks. There was no one person accountable, accountable. Yeah. whether it be the Dr. Reed or whether it be James Hurd or, or the, team ca the team captain. If you nail one person and say that is your accountability, Make sure that when that starts to go off the boil or something wrong, then you seek to fix it or you actually ask for help. With uh, regard to business, your financial, your CFO is accountable for the financials that he should or she should be getting out once a month, if that's the rhythm that you expect. But they're not accountable for the performance. They're accountable for getting the correct figures to you, the CEO, to then take action. Mm. Uh, the authority is you've then got to work out what authority each of those people have got 
have mm. it written into their job description or their job scorecard. So that person knows that if they've got to fix something, they've got a thousand dollars to go and buy some flowers or something like that. So, you know, that's uh, some hotels do that, that the person on the front desk has got the autonomy to do what's necessary. They will back them up, even got to pull money out of their own pocket. Then you've got you know, a couple hundred dollars a day to do what's necessary. They're the trust factor. But the thing is, they have got the authority. It's not a matter of signing chits and going up and down. So yeah. authority, accountability, and responsibility. Make sure you get those right. Yeah. Work out on the 80-20 rule, what is it the role that you have and what are the activities you do? So you list those down for a week and you've, you know, you, uh, the game changer has got a system for this. You write those down or a person writes them down. After a week, you go through, you say, okay, 20, 20% of those are important. 80% are, uh, shouldn't be done by you. So bring in your understudy, your, 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 your assistant and say, look, here is things that I've done, but really are outside my high performance area. These are now in your area and we, we trust you. That person feels really, really good because they're doing stuff they used to do. And then you manage them, micromanage them. Don't like the word micromanage them for the first week, the first month, until you're quite confident and they've got the right training to then allow to go and do it and come back every quarter or every year. It doesn't matter. But you've got to, you've got to stay in there rather than say, abrogate their responsibility. And at the end of six months, Oh, that person was hopeless and you get rid of them. You set them up for failure. Yeah. They didn't give any training, any any um, encouragement, uh, no review, etc. And And this is where in the sales area, uh, goals should be, new, new salespeople, goals should be set up on the Monday and reviewed on the Friday or set up in the morning and reviewed at the end of the day. Now, how many managers do that? How many owners? They don't do it. They yeah. get busy. Oh, you've got your figures. No. Yeah. Help what they need to do, the activity they need to do. And then on the Friday, how do we go there? Oh, we, we missed that. Okay, what are we going to do differently to change that? So yeah. they've got to stay in touch and engaged. Yeah. I don't know whether that answers the question, but... Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's quite clear. You know, responsibility, accountability, and authority. Authority is, you know, if, if what have they got the ability to make decisions on themselves? Yep. Uh, what's within their authority? They might be able to spend up to 500 bucks or 1,000 bucks before getting permission from, from their department. Head or from the, the CEO, what are they accountable for? Typically ties back to, you know, a core process that they're delivering or the KPIs and they're obviously responsibilities. You know, they have a responsibility to, to show up to work on time to, you know, speak, speak in a manner with their other teammates, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think, think, can I just add something there? Because yeah. this into something that uh, we can't cherry pick this. We've actually got the take as a combo. Now, I am big on values. I know you're big on values. And we say, look, you've got to come up with a set of values. It's not the white bread values that are in a lobby area. It's, it's what is legitimately in your language in the business that's made it so successful. Yeah. I've got to start thinking, why do, we, why do we have to come up with these values? Because most of my life, my working life, there was no mention of values. And yeah. now suddenly, the values. So while I was still preaching it, it was more do as I say, not I did do. But then... Uh, I know we're both learners at heart. In going and researching it, uh, if you look back in 1904, a man called Frederick uh, Taylor revealed at the uh, Paris World Fair the science of management. So what we actually see today in most companies comes back to 1904. And it was very much a command and control hierarchy. 
Mm. So it was top-down military, but it was don't do anything, come back to me and I'll make a decision and then I'll tell you what to do. That has actually gone on for 100 years, up until 2004, thereabouts. Because of the smartphone, because of the internet, and because that uh, things are moving so fast, we can no longer have a command and control. Yeah. You want to read one great book, and if I can re- recommend a great book to anybody out there, and it's called Team of Teams. Uh, and it's written by, I saw this man talk in Atlanta about three years ago, uh, General, four-star General, uh, Stanley McChrystal, who went into Iraq to command the best of the best. The, the, the Rangers, the SEALs were in a, a, a brigade of 4,400, and they were being beaten by Al-Qaeda. And yeah. he was the most, the most powerful uh, army that's ever uh, been uh, organized, it was being uh, because it still had the old way of running great processes, but very, very slow. So what he did, he reorganized his whole battalion of 4,400. He made it, break them up into little cells. So they were nimble, they were agile. And he put everyone being able to technology, the 4,000 on the general discussion once a day as to the next uh, attacks and next uh, actions. So everyone, the transparency, everyone in that 4,400 knew what was going on. So when you say to someone, look, we think you should have a huddle because your industry uh, is moving so fast, you really need to know what's going on and they do. Oh, no, but we've got 12 people or we've got people in Perth or Adelaide. This guy did it in, in Iraq fighting Al-Qaeda with 4,500 people and turned around the battle. Otherwise, he would have been sacked and uh, so if you read the team of teams it gives you where our structure of business needs to be which means that agile there's no hierarchy there's no command and control we have now got to have a set of behaviors this is where values come in the behaviors that we expect uh, people to 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 take on are the values so Mm. that is why we've got a values because it replaces command and control does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And, and that's, that's often the case is that uh, people just aren't willing to set up that structure to spend the time having meetings or ensure that people are on the same page. Exactly. Yeah. All right, before we wrap up today, uh, we've kind of done this a little bit backwards. I want to know your comeback game. Like, what was the biggest challenge or adversity that you had to overcome, Keith, in your life? Okay, okay, that's, that's, uh, that's, you know what, it's a very painful area, and yet, um, and, uh, but it, 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 I went to school, and beside me was a, a guy who's, who's a good mate, a guy called John Kirby. Now, John Kirby and I were about the same intellectually, I think there was 30 people in the class, he came in 14, and I came in 15, or I came in 15, and he came in 16. So he was very clear and, and uh, very much uh, uh, part of my peers. And we, you know, we left and his family and he actually personally bought the radio station that I was to work for, Triple M. So he was the chairman of the company. I was a lowly sales manager and I cocked it up. I thought I knew selling. I knew how to manage people after selling several businesses. I failed badly. So point where, and I think probably bullying came in at that stage uh, from, from of me and from other areas, I was humiliated in front of the whole company. And of course, my good mate, John, uh, would have found out about it. And the fact that I'd uh, personally failed, uh, not just professionally, but also in my peer group, was mm. very, 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 very humbling. And that is when I, I went to, uh, I mentioned before, I went to Tony Bongino, Bongi, and said, 
what do I need to do? And it really said, get off your ass, learn the sales process. And mm. so it was that pain of being torn down, not only in front of your work buddies, because no one really, it's like Tony Abbott being torn down as prime minister. No one really extends their hand and says, oh, bad luck. They really kick it on the way, all the way down and you really feel it. So you can either do two things. You can stay down or you can get back up. Well, I had a young family at that stage. Poverty is also a wonderful motivation. It gets you going uh, yeah. in the morning. And it was both desperation and the pride that I had that I wanted to show that I was better than that. So, um, so from that point of view, and I, I you know, look, I'll open, open up here. I, I hit the bottle. I, I would just absolutely get plastered on a Friday, Saturday, and just write myself up because the stress was so bad. These days, I mean, I wasn't an alcoholic, but I used to, used to give it a bit of a nudge. These days, I very rarely drink. I'll have a drink from time to time. But it was, um, it was how, how do you manage those stresses? You've got nowhere to go. You feel you're hemmed in. And then you've got your family. You've got to pay for uh, their expenses. So from that point of view, it's the hurt of failing can be really, really devastating. So you've got one or two things. You can either stay down or get back up. And if you've got pride in yourself, um, and which... Leads into a, a man I, I met, uh, Ryan Holiday, who's a, a young guy who's absolutely brilliant. He wrote a book called uh, about meditations, um, which are writings of of the Marcus Aurelius, one of the five good emperor, emperors mm. of of Rome. Mm. Um, and Marcus, between bells, would write these notes to himself. And uh, Ryan uh, collated uh, these these um, these um, these writings. And the one that I I go to all the time and I've written out here because I don't do it justice otherwise. And it is our actions may be impeded, but there can be no impeding our intentions or our dispositions because we can accommodate and adapt. The mind adapts and converts to its own purpose. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. So I'll just say that last part again, the impediment to action, advance action. What stands in the way becomes the way. In other words, the obstacle that you are facing mm. is a is a godsend mm. because it is not an obstacle. It is actually a pathway to where you want to go. Keith, mate, nicely done. Way to wrap it up. The All obstacle right. is the way. I get a job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you get to keep your job. No, the no, I can talk about this all day as we, as we both. Yeah, the obstacles way. Like where, where we are most challenged in life or where we're most uncomfortable is, is an indication of where we need to, to face, where we need to shine the light yeah. uh, into those areas of darkness, into those areas of pain, into those areas of challenge. Yeah, nicely said. Keith Miller, it's been an absolute pleasure to, uh, to have you here today. So uh, for the guys watching, listening, there's a couple of things. Obviously, uh, if you want to get that uh, article around strategy, uh, thegamechangers.com.au forward slash blog, I believe it is. Uh, you've also mentioned uh, Vern Harnish's book, Scaling Up, is an absolutely fantastic uh, book. Um, and also you mentioned Team of Teams. Team of Teams. Team of Teams book uh, as well. So, uh, General Stanley McChrystal. Yeah, yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Really appreciated uh, your time. If you guys have enjoyed this episode, let us know. Uh, the amount of times I meet people at events and they're like, man, I, I love the podcast, been listening to it, yet we've never seen you like a comment or share it around. Uh, if you're an avid listener, if you're, uh, if you're, you're part of the, uh, the Comeback Game Nation, as we uh, spoke on one of the recent episodes, uh, let us know, share it around, like, comment, and uh, allow others to get on board the journey 
to having their own comeback game as well. That's great, Barry. And keep learning. Keep learning. Keep learning. That's it. Thanks, Keith.